Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're up with a review of that classic Cornish pasty, chunky style. Did they taste as cute as their name? And on the slimmer side, we've got an elegant, savory shortbread to add to your tea time table or hors d'oeuvres tray. Finally, we'll run down some bakes you can prepare to help someone going through a tough time health-wise. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Now that we are into the third week of October, we are well and truly into autumn, and I'm guessing you may have had one or two pumpkin spice lattes by this point. I might have had one or two. I might have even had a pumpkin spice chai latte, which is one of my favorite new combos. Well, here in London, we have plentiful Starbucks and pumpkin spice, but this year, the UK coffee chain Costa which is the world's second largest chain right behind Starbucks, has upped the ante a bit with their introduction of the Biscoff muffin. What? My friend. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The Biscoff muffin, this baked treat, contains a surprise center of Lotus Biscoff spread and is topped with toffee icing and an actual Lotus Biscoff biscuit. Pair it with Costa's Bonfire Spice line of beverages. Bonfire Spice hot chocolate. Bonfire Spice Latte or Bonfire Spice Cold Brew? <laughs> Andrea, are you asking me, what's Bonfire Spice? <laughs> you know, you had me at surprise filling of <laughs> Biscoff cookie butter. So I really have sort of just zoned out since you said that as I'm imagining biting into this muffin and having this nice little ball of cookie butter right in the middle. Mm. I'm going to tell you guys right now that I will commit to searching out and eating a Biscoff muffin and reporting back because... Are you sure? Because, I mean, I don't know. I think I can do it. (laughs) No word on the Bonfire Spice. Now, Bonfire Spice is a blend of clove, cinnamon, toffee, cardamom, and ginger. That sounds great. Sounds pretty good. Mm. But you guys know I'm not a coffee person, so may just have to get the hot chocolate Bonfire Spice and my Biscoff muffin. The thing that cracks me up about that description is that they say it's topped with an actual Lotus Biscoff biscuit, as opposed to maybe like a little plastic one or... (laughs) Or, you know, there's lots of speculose cookie, not knockoffs. I mean, Lotus Biscoff is just, you know, the company that popularized it, I think, especially over here in the States. True enough. But speculose cookies have been around forever. So true enough. perhaps that's just a way of giving a nod to the company that they're partnering with. I think you're absolutely right. That is all about the branding. So if you are in the UK, these autumnal delights are available only through the end of October when the stores will begin stocking their Christmas range. So get them now. And I I really can't wait to, to give one a try. You know, Andrea, we have talked about our love of cookie butter since way back in first season when we did our Totally Biscoff pie in episode 14. And then more recently when we just love those cookie butter blondies from episode 132. So it's really one of my favorite flavors these days. And I'm the first to make fun of the pumpkin spice latte and all other thing 
pumpkin spice that rolls out every fall and especially the artificial scarcity of you know get it now or it's going to be gone but I'm a sucker for it when it comes to cookie butter I'm already panicked yes. at the thought that I might not be able to get that cookie butter muffin after the end of October so perhaps once you taste it we can look at recreating a version at home what do you think I would love to add a Biscoff an original Biscoff recipe yeah. to the preheated archives I certainly would let's let's think about that yeah absolutely mm-hmm. that might be an early entry on our 20 for 20 oh, baking resolutions gosh. that's the second one now I know oh we're racking them up oh my gosh look at us go <laughs> Let's move on from our beloved cookie butter into one of the cutest named desserts we've ever made. It's the Cornish Chunky from Just Roll Pastry. (laughs) I'm calling it a dessert. I guess I really shouldn't do that. It's more of a savory treat. And we talked a little bit last week about this particular item being great for using up leftovers. Stefan, I'm curious how this worked out for you. Well, maybe no surprise since I was very hot on using leftovers in the filling. That's exactly what I did here. Now, the recipe very nicely lists a vegetarian filling that you could make that includes a lot of veggies, onions, mushrooms, potatoes, what have you. But I went ahead and used some leftover beef stew that my husband had made, which has mushrooms. I then also had some cooked carrot and parsnip. I did cook one potato, and I also added the frozen peas. So I was really just using this recipe as a template. We had talked last episode that the Cornish pasty really was a vehicle for getting food to miners originally, and you would ask, you know, can you stick anything in there, especially meat? And my answer was yes. I think it's really a place to to do what you like. So I did do my leftovers. How did it go for you? Did you use leftovers? Did you bake fresh? No, I also took you at your word and used my leftovers. So I had pretty much everything except for the mushrooms. I had to buy the mushrooms. I did want to point out it says 125 grams. In my case, that was six large brown cremini mushrooms. Awesome. I had the potato. I had the onion. I had the carrot. Regrettably, I had frozen peas because my husband loves them. I do not. What? (laughs) We learn so much about each other during Savory Month because it's not food we normally talk about. (laughs) Oh, you didn't know about my hatred of frozen peas or any peas. Really? Mm -mm. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Don't like them. Okay. No. That you put them in for your husband. I did put them in for my husband, and I thought that it would add a nice little bit of a color contrast. Yeah. You know, with the carrot and I don't know. I just thought it would be kind of fun. Plus, I just had for some odd reason this like two tablespoons of frozen peas in my freezer and I was desperate to get rid of them. Yeah, two tablespoons is a very small amount. It is. But it's Mm -hmm. the right amount also. Yeah. I would agree with that. I used the parsley from my garden. That was so much fun. Now on to the spicy brown sauce, which you told me last week was HP sauce, and yes. sounds like it's just a ubiquitous thing in the UK. Yeah. I went to my Hagen grocery store. I went to the British section. They had a bottle of it. They did not have a spicy one. They just had HP sauce. Right. And can I tell you right now, I had to pay $6.79 for that bottle. Mmm, good stuff. <laughs> sounds like you were shopping at the American food store. <laughs> I That is exactly what I thought. I thought to myself, this is how Stefan feels when she has to pay $6 mm-hmm. for a tiny jar of Heinz 57 ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> 
or 15 for chocolate chips. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, I'm sure that was hard. Thank you for taking one for the team. Did you like it? How did you think the flavor stacked up? Yeah, I did try it before putting it into the pies. And I have to admit, I was not a huge fan. Okay. You mentioned that it's similar to A1 steak sauce, which I've also never liked. Okay. I thought it had a weird combination of sweetness and vinegar. Very vinegary. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very sharp, kind of astringent taste. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. And what you're doing with that in this recipe is really kind of moistening the crust after you have rolled it out. And I think you could use ketchup. I think you could use barbecue sauce or something else there too. Just you're wanting that kind of thicker moistener. Sorry for using that word a couple times there. That's okay. Moist. (laughs) (laughs) There she goes again. I also took your advice and I bought the pie crust as opposed to the puff pastry crust. So my brand was not Just Roll. I think mine was called Signature Select. But what cracked me up is on the front of the box, it said, just unroll and bake. And I thought, oh, look, it's I know this is the right thing because it has the words just unroll in it. <laughs> just Roll name brand just really gets to the point, doesn't it? It really yes, does. Just Roll short crust pastry. We had our, our filling there, and so I had my blend of some leftover beef with carrot, parsnip, and you had yours. Now, did you put some meat in yours as well? I did. I had some okay. le- leftover flank steak, and I diced that up and used that, and that was, yeah. I think, a great addition. Yeah, I loved doing that. It's one of our 19 for 19, you guys know, to waste not, want not. So that part of the prep went very easily for me since I skipped several steps. Now, here, Just Roll lost me a little bit. You are to unroll each sheet of the pastry and using a saucer, cut out three circles from each sheet. I'm thinking to myself, it's a square when I unroll it. Now you want me to cut circles. I'm going to have all kinds of scraps of like leftover pastry. I don't like it. I'm trying to like waste not, want not. That's the whole idea of these of this dish to me. So Andrea, I put it on my scale and I weighed it and I divided it in three. And then I had my three portions of the pastry and I went from there. How did you do this part? You are so smart because I got flummoxed at the use of the word saucer. <laughs> so <laughs> I have made it a general rule of mine not to ask people on the internet or people on this show, aka you, a question that could be easily answered in Google. And so I got to that instruction. It said to use a saucer. And I yeah. thought, well, this is obviously some English you know, implement in the kitchen that I've never heard of because I kept thinking it was some sort of metal cutting implement. Okay. Like another word for cookie cutter or something. Something like that. So I went to Google and I typed in saucer. And of course, what was coming up is the saucer that goes under a teacup, which uh, listeners, I do know what a saucer (laughs) is. Okay. So lest you fear I'm losing my mind. And you didn't think it was like a flying saucer. (laughs) No, that's true. No, I didn't. It was just one of those things where I thought, well, of course I know what a saucer is that goes under my teacup, but it can't be that because Mm. it said, when it said using a saucer, I just assumed it meant like with a sharp edge, as in the saucer was going to do the cutting. And all of my saucers have nice rounded edges. So I just went all around the block on Google on this looking (laughs) here and there. And finally, I got to the point where I thought, no, they literally mean use a saucer. Yeah, just like draw around it with your knife. That's what they want. That's what I ended up doing. So I also was a bit frustrated when I was done with that because of all the leftover scraps. My sheets were circles, but still three circles don't fully use the big circle that I started with. 
I was a little frustrated with that, but I had spent so much time trying to figure out what a saucer was that I just moved on. I saved those scraps. I thought since they were pie crust scraps, I think I might just put a little cinnamon sugar on them and pop them in the oven one day for a little snack. Yeah, that's a great way to use that up. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think, too, that I've seen the idea of using a saucer. The other thing you often see here in recipes is to use a mug full of something. Mm, Okay. And so that is such an old-fashioned way of of measuring and then of writing a recipe. But they mean, like, grab your teacup and that's how much flour I want you to put into this. So – I'm sorry, that's not the the word or the thing that I thought would have would have tripped you up here. You could always text me. Well, I had already texted you about, you know, puff pastry or pie crust. So <laughs> you'd used up your free texts. Yeah, for a simple <laughs> recipe, I felt like I'd already asked you a lot of questions. You know, we're a collector of 50s kitchen vintage dishware. So oh, yeah. part of my problem was the plethora of saucer choices that I had. Sure. So I had all these different saucers lined up, and I was trying to pick the perfect size that would have the three circles touching each other but not crossing over as in a Venn diagram. (laughs) I know. It was such a geometric dilemma, this recipe. It was. (laughs) It was. That was the only challenge I had, though, I should say. That step four was the only one that flummoxed me a bit. Yeah. And listeners, I can just recommend if you weigh your dough, divide it by three. Mm -hmm. I rolled mine to about an eight-inch circle. And I will say that these made a very hearty and very substantial meal. And that's what I considered them. I served them for dinner. So you have your pastry rolled out. You put your filling there. Then you brush some with some egg, bring them together, almost like a like a clamshell. Mm-hmm. Andrea is kind of what I thought my mine looked like. You pinch the top closed. You bake them until they are golden brown. They are big, chunky meals in your hand. How did you like the taste on yours? We had my husband's cousins visiting us, and they are very well well traveled. His cousin actually lived in Australia and New Zealand, and they're off on the tail end of a year-and-a-half-long bike trip around the world. So they have a lot of familiarity with meat pies. You mentioned the word clamshells. It was so cute when I had told her the name was Cornish Chunky, and she turned to me and said, oh, look, it's an English empanada. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what mine kind of looked like, I thought. I thought it was okay. Part of the problem was I did not like that brown sauce. I wish I had gone with my initial impression of not loving it, What I did was I brushed it on sparingly because I didn't love the flavor. But as a result, my pies were a bit dry. And my guests, who have a lot of experience with pies, said that was their main quibble. Not the flavor, but the fact that it was so dry. They said in their experience, when they're eating meat pies, it's a mess. You know, you, you have to have napkins. There's a lot of juice. And I thought back to that meat pie I had shared with your family. I remember it being very juicy and the juices bubbling through. So I wish I had been a little more thoughtful with that and maybe just substituted a barbecue sauce or something that I knew I liked to get a little more juice in there. Or with my leftover meat that I used, I probably could have included some of the juices in there. But I just didn't know because I hadn't made this before. Yeah, and I would say the same thing, that my filling was a little dry. Now, I went ahead and just added some more tablespoons of that brown sauce. That's a flavor that my family tends to like. Mm-hmm. I think if you had some gravy, that would be really good. Yes. Something to moisten that up. Because I think also that the pastry crust kind of draws some of the moisture from the filling out. And that makes the actual interior a little more dry. Now, you could also serve it with gravy if you were serving it hot. We also served it with additional brown sauce for dipping. But that was my 
quibble with this one as well. Otherwise, everyone liked them for dinner very much. And I have to say that putting pretty much anything inside pie crust gets a pretty good review around here. <laughs> Not a hard sell. Right. I served them as appetizers right before dinner, and they were not a huge hit. I think another part of the problem, I mentioned in the past when I've done pie crust, I bought one from Trader Joe's. This time I picked one up from Safeway. It was their house brand, that Signature Selections. I think it was a bit sweet. And so that was a bit (laughs) off-putting, sweet crust on a meat pie. None of us really loved the brown sauce. They were a bit dry. We all kind of said, eh, thumbs down. But I mentioned that my husband's cousin is really sort of a genius with leftovers. And guess what she did with our leftovers the next morning? Okay, this is the same cousin who had the dinner muffins for breakfast? Yes. Okay. Uh, Did she make like a hash? Kind of. She cut them up and made them into a breakfast burrito by adding eggs to it. And she said they were fabulous. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This is a very industrious house guest you have with you. I know. This is the best house guest ever. She uses all my leftovers. (laughs) You know, Andrew, the other thing I wanted to mention about this for make-ahead purposes Once I had my filling encased in my pastry and I had crimped it all around, I actually just went ahead and put those on a parchment-lined baking tray and stuck them in the fridge until I was ready to bake them off. I took them out for about 10 minutes to come up to temperature, and they baked really well. So I do think it's a nice use of your leftovers. I do think it's a nice make-ahead, and I like this Just Roll pastry also. I'm happy with this store brand. I hear you, though. Not all store brands are created equal, so you want to find one you really like. Yeah, and I often make a lot of my pie crust, which is not sweet, in advance and put it in the freezer. So I think next time I'll just use my own pie crust. Totally. I was trying to do a shortcut, and it ended up not working out that well for me. But I have to say, I did love the presentation and the idea of this and the size of it. And, you know, there's nothing like a little handheld warm meat pie, I think. It just it just warmed my heart. It was great. Well, moving on to our third and final bake-along this month during Simply Savory Month of October, we are doing a cheddar and hazelnut shortbread. This comes to us courtesy of BBC Good Food. Now, Andrea, we have had some pretty good luck with shortbreads, which is one of the reasons I thought we should give this one a go. Of course, back in episode 61, most famously, we did the Earl Grey shortbread, and that kind of kicked you off on an entire like shortbread odyssey. Oh, yeah. I was making shortbread like once a week after that. <laughs> My uh, stock in butter went way up for a short period of time. Yeah, it's if you use good butter, I do not think it's hard to make good shortbread is really what it comes down to. And so I have only ever made sweet ones. I am very excited about this one. It's got some blanched hazelnuts, of course, the cold butter, some plain flour or all-purpose flour. Oh, you're so good. Thank you. A mature cheddar, finely grated. So I'm going to have fun searching one of those out in my store. I love the cheese section in my store. And I love talking to my cheesemonger and saying, you know, I'm looking for this particular cheese. And then they always want to know what I'm going to use it in. And I'll be able to say in this hazelnut cheddar shortbread. And I have a feeling that'll be a big hit. Oh, uh, I think mature is another word for like a aged, you know, yes. like a strongly aged. I yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And then, of course, a medium egg, lightly beaten. I also am definitely using my food processor in this. It is part of the preparation step, so I just wanted to point those out for people who don't have a food processor. I think I have related on the show 
The one time I tried to make shortbread without a food processor, I didn't have a lot of luck. I think it's a pretty important way to get that, that butter incorporated into the flour. Yeah, and you are having or you are rather dividing those hazelnuts. You will use some on the top of the finished cookie, and then you're also grinding some to make almost a hazelnut flour there. So I do think that you might have a tricky time if, if you don't have have that processor. Other than that, Andrea, you know, you are pulsing all of those ingredients together. You are putting it in the fridge. Now, here, BBC Food, put them in the fridge for a couple of hours. Well, yeah. I mean, what are you thinking? What's a shortbread standard? Two hours overnight? Yeah, I would say definitely two hours, and it certainly wouldn't hurt to keep overnight. It never hurts to keep it longer, but... Okay, okay. Yeah, I think you notice when it's not long enough, then you see kind of all the butter escaping as it cooks. You know what I mean? Like, it's just almost immediately melting. Oh, interesting. Okay, excellent. So toward that end also, it doesn't specifically call out to put some parchment or a silpat on your baking sheet, but I might go ahead and always do that too. Oh, yeah. You are rolling these into about a tablespoonful ball and then pushing them down lightly to about a three and a half centimeter diameter, putting those whole hazelnuts on top and then cooking for about 10 minutes in a 200 centigrade. Andrea, gosh, it seems by now I should know what that is. I think it's a pretty hot oven, like a 375, but confirm that for Fahrenheit. I have already confirmed. I looked it up. Thank you. And 200 centigrade is 392 degrees Fahrenheit. So I'll just be going with a 400 degree. Thought it was pretty hot. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. You, you so. are correct. Stefan, I love that this recipe is five ingredients or less, but I wanted to point out that because it has so few ingredients, make sure that your ingredients are good. So get the best butter that you can get. I'm probably going to get one of those European butters that has the higher butter fat content and check your hazelnuts. I don't know about you guys, but I don't use those a lot. And so you want to make sure that they haven't gone rancid if you have them in your pantry. And blanched, Andrea, means that the skin of the hazelnut has been taken off. And I'm able to buy that ready-made. Is that something that you can find that preparation in your stores there? No, I haven't seen that. But typically what I will do with hazelnuts that need the skins taken off is I will roast them in the oven for a short period of time, maybe five or six minutes. And then I throw them into a kitchen towel, and then I rub the towel back and forth really briskly, and all of those skins come off. Yeah, excellent. This is another fun entry into the Simply Savory Month that I am super excited about. Woo! Lots of S's. (laughs) So remember, we'll have a link to this recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 147 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, as bakers, one way we show our love is by creating dishes for our friends and family. And there can be no better time to do that than when a loved one is going through a tough time health-wise. That's right. Whether you want to help someone recovering from surgery, a new parent, or a loved one going through chemotherapy or other rigorous and exhausting treatments, it's important to know what can and can't be tolerated. And also, what's most appreciated when gifting baked goods or other treats from your kitchen. Now, caveat, Andrea and I are not medical professionals, and this mini-segment is not about quote-unquote food cures, but rather a chat about what you can make that might taste best and provide some needed nutrition for your loved ones during challenging times. Yes, we're basing this on our own experiences, what we've been through and what our friends and families have been through, and we're not suggesting that what worked well for us will necessarily work well for everyone. 
But still, we hope this will give you some ideas when you or someone you love is going through a tough time. For many patients who are undergoing chemotherapy, food can often taste too sweet. They can also be suffering from nausea and mouth sores. So avoid very fatty, rich desserts in favor of something smooth and easy to digest, like a custard, rice pudding, pumpkin or sweet potato pie, or simply pie filling. You don't even need the crust. Baked fruit or fruit crumble, plain donuts, or simple cookies and crackers. But conversely, some patients find foods don't taste sweet enough. So you could offer maple syrup, honey, brown sugar, dates, or raisins to add natural sweetness while avoiding refined sugar. Those would be especially good drizzled on a custard or added to a fruit dessert. And remember, ginger is a natural remedy for nausea and can be incorporated into many of these custard and fruit desserts too. Frozen or chilled foods are often appreciated by chemo patients as well. Frozen bananas are a favorite and also provide potassium and fiber. Another welcome cold treat can be a fruit smoothie. Made with peanut butter and or yogurt, this can be a good source of protein and calories, fiber and antioxidants, and can help with electrolyte distribution and hydration. Smoothies can be great for new parents too. For one thing, you can drink it with one hand. <laughs> they can also provide a one-stop shop for fruit and veg, protein, fiber, and calcium, among other nutrients. It might be nice to prepare some smoothie kits to stock the new parent's freezer so they can grab and go straight into the blender without having to chop or measure anything. Another welcome nutrient for many new moms is fiber. Homemade whole grain bread is a delicious gift, and you could offer one freshly baked and one for her freezer. Preheated favorite Alexandra Stafford's No-Need Peasant Bread from episode 67 comes together quickly and makes two loaves. It's perfect. Calories can also be important for new moms, especially those breastfeeding. Many of the dishes we tackled last January during Eat Your Veggies Month provide nutrition and sweetness. Consider the lemon spinach donuts for antioxidants, fiber, and vitamin C. And our preheated favorite coconut tapioca with mango and lime provides calories, calcium, vitamins, and fiber. Personally, I'm still baking and eating the lactation cookies one of our listeners <laughs> turned me on to a couple of years ago. These delicious cookies include flaxseed and brewer's yeast. And while I can't personally comment on whether or not they boost milk production, I can confirm that they're delicious. You know, I've seen those in grocery stores too, so it's really nice to have a recipe you can make at home. We'll share it in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 147. Friends or family members recovering from surgery can also benefit from higher calorie snacks too. So consider items with nuts, nut butter, eggs, protein, and calcium. Our rice pudding from our Puddings and Custards month in the first season could be eaten any time of day and can be enjoyed warm or cold. And vitamin C helps in recovery and immunity, so consider one of the fruit desserts we tackled during last September's Sensational Stone Fruit Month, or lemon-based desserts like Sunny Lemon Bars from Citrus Month, April 2018. In general, in all of these situations, ask your friends or family member what they can tolerate and what they're craving. All patients are different. It can also be helpful to have meals or treats that can easily be frozen in case they can't be eaten right away. I find it's also helpful to ask what the patient's family members like, so you can be sure to include some of their favorites too. For bakers like us, food equals love. So while it may not be a cure, a gift from your kitchen is sure to help someone feel better. One last tip I just got from a friend who is recovering is to please use disposable 
containers when you give people a treat while they're recovering. I know it may go a bit against your grain, but it gives them one less thing to do if they have to worry about getting your containers back to you. And you know, Andrea, another way to do that if you don't want to use disposables, which I think you've mentioned on the show before, is to buy some plates or utensils from Value Village or other thrift stores. You can often find things that are brand new there. That way you can just say, I don't need this back. Yeah, that's a really great suggestion. Yeah, I love those Pyrex pie plates at Goodwill. I can just stack up on those. Well, thanks to the Mayo Clinic, WebMD, and Self Magazine for their suggestions and guidelines. And listeners, if you've got any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Drop us a note at host at preheatedpodcast.com or post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we're up with the review of our savory shortbread. And just in case you thought we forgot what month it is, we'll introduce a savory pumpkin bread pudding. Then we'll head into the gadget garage to learn about the appliance my London friends can't get enough of, the Thermomix. Is it worth the space on your kitchen counter? Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.